we thank you that you have paid our ransom, that you have abolished sin in our life. You've abolished the ugliness of sin and the punishment of sin in our lives because of what you've done for us. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it, and yet you freely give it to us. And I'm so thankful for that. I pray for today. I pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. Your Holy Spirit will open our hearts and our minds to what you want us to see in this text, your word, your holy word, your precious word. We thank you for it. In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Uh, how's everybody doing this morning? We have sunshine, and it almost feels like a heat wave compared to the last, or last couple of days. So, very, very nice day out there. Um, if you've been tracking with us, you know we're in Romans, and if you want to open up to Romans, we're going to be in chapter 3, and I'm going to go ahead and read 1 through 8. Um, we're going to examine that a little bit, and then um, head into, um, uh, into, into, up to chapter, uh, into verse 20, excuse me, can't hardly speak this morning. Uh, so let me go ahead and read 1 through 8, and then uh, we'll, we'll uh, take a look at this. Chapter 3, verse 1, starting in verse 1. What advantage, then, is there being a Jew? Or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. What if some have, do not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true, and every man a liar, as is written. So, that you may be proved right when you speak, and prevail when you judge. But if our unrighteousness brings God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? I am using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue if my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness, so increases his glory. Why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say as are being slanderously reported are saying, and as some claim that we let us do evil, that good may result, their condemnation is deserved. <clears throat> if you've been tracking with us, uh, if we go back a little bit, um, the last three weeks, um, I think Taylor talked about God's wrath towards the Gentiles, and then um, I believe that uh, Brad spoke about the moralists, or people that thought they were righteous in their own right, that, that they had it all, all together. And then last week, um, we saw Matt uh, Beachy uh, share about the Jewish people. And each one of these things that Paul lays out is saying that, man, every, every section of human beings, every, uh, no matter how you, how you slice it up, you can categorize them, you can put them in a race, whatever, everybody has fallen short of God. Everyone is under sin. Everyone is messed up, if you will. All right? And so um, Romans 3, he picks it up here. And this is kind of like Paul's little bit of a, a Q&A. I just want to make some observations here. Um, it seems that uh, and no matter who you are, even, even when Jesus was here on earth, Jesus was perfect. And he had people that objected to his teachings, Correct? He had people that actually went after him, that slandered him, that, that tried to twist his words. And this is, this is the same thing for Paul. 
We, we see here Paul has these guys that are going after him. Um, they make objections, if you will, for some of Paul's teaching. And some of them um, are just misunderstandings, I believe, but a lot of them are just downright lies. And they actually are going after Paul and slandering his, his name. And we'll see this here. So um, what's, what's very intriguing about this is Paul kind of lays out this Q&A period in, in, in this section here, 1 through 8. And uh, if, you, if you make some observations here, uh, all the odd verses, there's two questions that he poses. And then the even verse, he answers those two questions. It's really, really interesting when you, when you start looking at that. Um, I believe that there's uh, basically every question, every two questions, there's an objection to those two questions. So I, I believe the, um, the critics are actually objecting to some of Paul's teachings about, the first objection is, is the people of God. Uh, he, he spoke about the people of God. So they go, there's a, the first objection is the people of God. The second objection is word, the word of God or God's faithfulness. His, his, are his words actually going to be true? The third objection would be the righteousness of God. His very character is being called into question from Paul's teaching. And then the fourth, the fourth would be the judgment of God. The fourth objection would be the judgment of God or his justice. Is he actually fair? And so um, Paul is attempting to um, go into detail and, and take these questions head on. And I'm sure some of these questions he had, he had heard in his travels, Maybe someone talked to him about it, and maybe some of these are supposed questions, but I believe that there's a reason that he is, he is attacking it head on. So the first, the first objection about the people of God, um, verse 1, his, the question would be, what good is it to be a Jew? What good is it to be circumcised? And, 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 and they're actually blaming Paul here to say, you're actually anti-Jewish. All this stuff you've been talking about, you're actually going after the Jewish people. That's, that's pretty much in a nutshell what, what, what Paul is being blamed here. And, you know, Paul, Paul answers these objections, answers these questions in verse 2. Much in every way, you know, what, what advantage is it to be a Jew? Uh, much in every way. First of all, and it's interesting, he, he starts off like, first of all, and he doesn't even get to a second or a third or fourth point. It's the main point here, guys. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. That, that's uh, the NIV. I think the uh, ESV says the oracles of God, which is basically just the same thing. The very words of God have been entrusted to the Jewish people. So it, the Jewish people have a huge, a huge advantage. They actually have a, a, a privilege here of hearing straight from God. It's huge. You, you know, we may, we may even frame it like this in Western uh, society in the United States. What, what good is it to be raised in a Christian home? Anybody ever think that? Anybody ever ask that question? What, is there an advantage of being raised in a Christian home? Is there, is there an advantage of sitting in a gospel-centered Bible preaching church. Absolutely. It's a privilege to hear those things, to be taught those things from young on up, to be raised in that. It doesn't save you, 
But there's a huge advantage there. We get to hear from God himself. That's huge. It's, 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 it's amazing to think about that. That God himself is using, maybe your upbringing. Now, and once again, no household is perfect. And we're going to see why here in a little bit. However, to, to be raised with the gospel around you, to be raised in a church, that's huge. We get to hear from the very words of God. And the Bible is very clear. That's how, we, that's how we get saved, when we hear the gospel. And through his Holy Spirit doing something in our hearts. And so it's a huge advantage. It's a huge advantage for you to be a Jew, according to Paul. The second objection, objection would be the word of God. Um, basically, his distractors are saying, well, you know... Um, is, is God actually going to be faithful? It says, you know, if, if, if people don't have faith, well then, actually, is God not being faithful? And does it actually nullify God's faithfulness, his word, his promise? Has God failed in a, in a, in a roundabout way is what they're asking here. And in and, and verse 4, he's very adamant about it. He goes, not at all. Uh, that, that's what the uh, NIV says. Um, if you go back to the Greek, the original Greek, it is no. It's the strongest Greek word for no that you can come across. And it may it never be. And, you know, Paul, Paul basically just gets very blunt here. And he says, um, you know, every judgment will be according to his word. And it's not according to mankind. And a lot of times we want to put God into our, our parameters and we want to make him like us, or we want to uh, put our, our uh, you know, what we think is fair in, into this, and it, 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 is, it is absolutely, positively, doesn't matter what we say, it's what God says. What matters is what God says, not what the world says. God's standard is the standard. God's word is truth and it's reality. And we can try to, we can try to turn it, we can try to twist it in our, in our humanness, but it is absolutely, absolutely 100%. God is completely in control of this and his judgment will be just. The third objection would be the righteousness of God. And we see this in, in verse, uh, verse 5. Um, but if our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say then? So there, there's kind of a, a twisting of words and almost a, a very twisted logic. It is a twisted logic. It is, it is logic coming out of a sinful sinfulness. Our sinful minds cannot understand God's, God's righteousness and we cannot understand how 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 big and how good he is and and so here we are this 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 human logic is trying to play around and twist god's righteousness and once again we see in verse six niv says certainly not once again if you go back to the greek it is the same no this is total nonsense um if if you know and paul says if god is unjust 
and that's what you're calling him out on this, on these questions. If God is unjust, then how could he even judge the world if he's unjust? You're, 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 you're framing the question wrong here, and you don't understand who God truly is. And once again, Paul is talking about the certainty of, his, of God's wrath, his judgment. Hell is a real place. And everyone will be brought before judgment before God. And those who are not in Jesus Christ will be, will be punished. And this is pretty much in a nutshell what Paul is saying here. And it, 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 it'll, it'll be completely fair and completely right. And then that leads into the, the last objection here, uh, the judgment of God. And we're going we're gonna to be kind of looking at this a little bit more in more detail um, as we go to, into the text a little more. But basically, the judgment of God, is he actually fair? And this is kind of interconnected with this last objection. But, you know, once again, we see here where people are actually just completely twisting Paul's words and completely twisting the character of God in that. And so basically they're saying, if I lie or I sin, should it, shouldn't it enhance God's truth? Shouldn't it enhance God's goodness? You know, we, we see Paul later in Romans address this. Um, you know, as we sin, should we sin all the more so grace abounds in our lives? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, uh, you know, so there, there, there's this, this twisted, once again, logic and, and, and false claims and, and Paul actually says this in, in verse 8. You know, uh, why not say as we are being basically lied about? So these rumors, outright lies, slandering of the teacher, saying that the teacher is, 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 is falsely teaching these things about God. They are just going after Paul's sound doctrine. And Paul, Paul just pretty much at this point has pretty much an, enough of it. And he says, you know what? Their condemnation is going to be deserved as they're teaching these things. As, as they are reporting falsely about me, they're going to be condemned. And it's going to be rightly condemned in this. And that's where he kind of just stops it right there as, as, for this Q&A time. And I really want to spend the bulk of our time in uh, verse 9 through 20. And let me go ahead and read that. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made this charge that the Jew and Gentile alike are under sin, as is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands and no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together became worthless. There is no, no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that not so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held account to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
really uplifting chapters here, right? But this is the reality. You know, we honestly don't know the good news of the gospel until we hear the bad news of us. We can't understand salvation until we know what we're being saved from. And what we see here, what I just read, is God's laying out why the human race is being, basically being prosecuted. (laughs) Um, It's almost like there's a court case being laid out here. Does that make sense? And we see here in in verse 9, the charges, which we're going to look at here in a second. 10 through 18 is the case or the evidence, and 19 through 20 is, is the sentence. And this is how Paul lays it out. And Paul doesn't lay it out because he's laying it out. He is basically being the court recorder. You know, I don't know if anybody's ever been in a courtroom or not, but there's, there's this little, usually it's a lady sitting on a little typewriter type thing, and she's typing away, and, and she's just recording what, are, what is going on. And that's pretty much what Paul is doing here. God is bringing charges to the human race. He's bringing the case and the evidence. And then the sentence. So let's look at the charges. Verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that the Jews and the Gentiles are like under sin. And so what we see here is Paul, every single one of us, if you want to unite the human race, this is the way to unite it. Every single one of us are under sin. Every single one of us are under the power of sin, the pollution of sin, the enslavement of sin, the curse of sin. Which brings the punishment, the death of sin. It's absolute. There's no, there's no one outside the power of sin in the human race. No one is righteous. No one is, is, can stand up to God's perfect, perfectness. And we see... The charges, 10 through 18. And, and it, it, there's nothing new here. This is from the beginning of the fall of mankind. This is from the beginning of when Adam and Eve were tempted and sinned. This is, I, I believe, the one reason that, not the only reason, but one of the reasons that Paul uses, these are all Old Testament texts. These are literally out of the Old Testament from Psalms. And he's bringing a case before all mankind that from the very beginning to now, we are all unrighteous. We have all sinned. And there is no one immune from this. In theological terms, we call it total depravity. You may may have heard that. Basically, it just means radical corruption. Every single one of us is corrupted with sin from the very tip of our hair 
to the very tippy toes. Every single part of us is poisoned with sin. Um, let me put it like this. If I, you know, this is a glass of water right here. If I were to take some poison and put a drop of this in, swish it around, anybody want to drink it? Why? Because the, the water itself is now poisoned. And that is how, that is how humankind is. That's what the human race has become. A couple of years ago, just, um, just before COVID set off, I was still at the uh, nursing home as a chaplain, and I had a call from my mom, and she was very concerned. Um, there was something wrong with my dad. And uh, she couldn't get him out of the chair. He was sitting there, and he wasn't making any sense at all. When she called me, um, I was at Sycamore at the time. I, I jumped in my vehicle. I hightailed it up for Holmesville. And I was thinking, stroke? You know, maybe it's a stroke or something happened to Dad. And so I, uh, I ran up there, and uh, sure enough, he was sitting in a chair. He couldn't get up. There was something absolutely wrong. Even, even talking to him, he, he could not formulate a complete sentence or anything that made sense at all. And once again, I was thinking, well, was it a stroke? What, what was going on? I, I talked through some things with him. I said, okay, we need to call the ambulance. We called the ambulance. And this is something we, I'd seen at the nursing home as well. And once again, I, I, I couldn't diagnose because there was a couple of things that could have been wrong. But, but what had happened was my dad had an infection. And it, it got to a point where the infection went into his bloodstream. He went septic, is what they call it. Seen it at the nursing home as well, different times. This, and, and with the septic, it, it affected every part of him. He couldn't walk. He couldn't talk. He, he, he didn't make any sense. Even in his own mind, after you talk to him, he, he, he doesn't remember a whole lot about it. Because his whole body was being poisoned through his bloodstream. And folks, this is, this is exactly what sin has done to the human race. Every single part of us is poisoned by sin. We are septic. And, and, and God lays this out. And even as we, as we get in here, the case is made. Every single part of us is full of sin. Every single part of us is full of poison. We ask the question, why is the world so messed up? It's been messed up way before I've been born. And it'll be messed up if God doesn't come back a lot longer after I die. And it is all centered around the fact that we are depraved human beings. That we are radically corrupted. We are radically poisoned by sin. And this, this radical corruption of sin, just as, it, as, as, as this infection affected my dad, it, 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 it affects our minds. And we're going to look at this here. You're unable to think properly. You're not able to think like God does in our depraved sinfulness. It affects our heart. My heart loves the things I should hate. 
And I hate the things that I should love. In my humanness. That is who I am. And as much as I hate it, it's still there. And with the mind and the heart both being fully corrupted, my will is in bondage of this. My very will to do good is corrupted. I absolutely cannot do good on my own as much as I want to. I cannot do it. I can't even choose that God. I can't even choose God in my, in my, in my quote, will. I have to have something happen to me. And so if we look at it, starting in verse 11, we're going to look at the indictment, if you will, the charges, the, the evidence is here. And, and, and I'll just give you a breakdown, and then we're going to look into it a little more. But verse 11, it talks about the mind and the heart. It's corrupted. Verse 12, the will. The will is corrupted. Verse 13, throats, tongue, and lips is corrupted. 14, my mouth is corrupted. 15 and seven, through 17, my feet is corrupted. And 18 is corrupted. You know, it, so many times we... We look at what it means to be totally depraved, right? And so a lot of times we look at what the world describes as the most evil. So, you know, we could, we could start a list, right? Adolf Hitler. We could start a list with, you know, maybe Jeffrey Dahmer, Stalin, right? I mean, we recognize that as being bad. But total depravity, radical, poisoned part of being sinful is not the fact that I'm going to turn out necessarily like that. But once again, since I am totally corrupted, I cannot reach the, 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 you know, the, the perfectness that God, God demands. And, and so uh, last week... Uh, Matt Beach, he talked about a TV show called, uh, I think, Gangland, right? Uh, if you were here. You know, and it would be really easy to talk about total depravity out of that show, right? Well, I want, I want, to, I want to introduce another show, and I think most of us probably have heard it or, or watched an episode, and that's Andy Griffith, Mayberry. wholesome show, right? And, and, and once again, I love, I love watching Mayberry. I love watching the Andy Griffith show. But guess what, guys? Total depravity is in that show. It shows total depravity every show. Every episode of that show. Why do I say that? Because people lie. People stab each other in the back. We even have one show where a guy's throwing rocks through a window. There's pride, right? Usually Barney, who's the bumbling, bumbling, and he wants to be sheriff so bad, he's got one bullet in his pocket because he can't be trusted. And, you know, his pride gets him in the way every time. He, you know, right? Mayberry is a perfect, imperfect example 
of what total depravity looks like. So many times we think it's, it's the really bad things, like Adolf Hitler and the Holocaust. It is, it is sin in our everyday lives, sin in our own lives. The thing that we say that isn't that big a deal, that are a big deal. That's what totally depravity looks like. It's, we're totally corrupted. Radically, radically corrupted. So let's go to verse 11. Verse 11. There is no one who understands and no one who seeks God. Once again, speaking about the, the mind, we can't actually understand the perfectness of God. We cannot understand God's ways in our humanness. We don't even understand a lot of times what good and evil are. If you look at it, and I'm, we don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see um, it talks about, you know, um, the foolishness of this world is what God uses to bring about. And, and so many times we think, well, you know, if you can, if you're smart enough to split an atom or have this, 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 this mind for logic or whatever it may be, and yet how many people that go down that road and that are super smart, smarter than myself, IQs abounding that can't even fathom God and can't, can't even understand who God is. They may even deny the existence of God out of their smartness. That is how radically corrupt our minds are. Maybe even denying the existence of this amazing creator that has brought everything into existence. Our hearts, no one seeks God for the sake of God. And we can even see this when Jesus was here on earth in the Gospels. How many people actually sought Jesus for Jesus? Or, Jesus, my, my son is hurt. Jesus, I'm blind. So on and so forth. So many people did not, did not seek Jesus for the sake of seeking Jesus, but for the sake of getting something out of him. How many of us do that for our own lives? How many times have I stood up before God and said, God, get me out of this jam. I need a miracle. I'm not seeking God for seeking God's sake. I'm seeking God to get me something or get me out of something. No one seeks God on their own. Verse 12. All have turned away. They have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Once again, speaking towards our will. You know, we, we think that, you know, well, you know, and you say, well, you know, I just helped the old lady across the street. Wasn't that good? It was good. You know, on the human side, our horizon. But am I actually doing something good vertically 
Our very wills have been tainted by sin. Our very wills have been radically, once again, radically corrupted. I keep using that term, but I think that that really speaks to what we are. We are so, so corrupted that we don't even know how bad we are. Has anybody here been sick at one point in time? And, um, you know, and I've, I've talked to people, maybe, maybe even a, a prolonged chronic disease like maybe cancer or maybe, um, you know, gallbladder, something like that, right? And they're just kind of in survival mode, right? And they're, they're just dun, 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 until they get diagnosed and get treated and maybe they have the gallbladder taken out. And all of a sudden... They, they come back out of surgery, and they're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know how bad it was, right? <laughs> That's how it is for the human race, with sin. We really don't know how bad sin is, and it penetrates every facet of who we are. Verse 13 their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Why do you think Paul says open graves? It's a direct line to our heart. Our heart is decaying, our heart is, is sinful, it is full of death. Why do we close up graves? Because it stinks. You know, when Lazarus was, was uh, raised from the dead, you know, that was one of the big caveats. They, they said, Jesus, you know if we roll that stone away, it's going to stink to high heaven. And that's how my heart is. My very heart in my, in my sinfulness is. Death, the fragrance of death comes out of my throat. Our tongues practice deceit. They lie. Parents, how many of you have had kids lie to you? How many of us have lied to our parents? <laughs> Who taught you to lie? Our lips inject poison like venoms, venomous snakes. How many times have, have uh, our lips got us in trouble? Verse 14, it interconnects with your mouth. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. I can attest to this. My mouth has been there. Once again, straight from our hearts. How many, how many of you have ever said something and later you say, I can't believe I just said that? <laughs> Been there. Been there. You know, and this is the thing, it resonates with us, right? I mean, every single one of us has, has most likely have, have, maybe you haven't said it out loud, but you've thought it. Man, where did that come from? In verse 15 and 17, our feet. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. 
and the way of peace they do not know. The path of misery and ruin. No peace. Sin, sin just doesn't affect us. It affects everyone around us. There's such thing as like, you know what? I'm going to live my life... <laughs> and you don't have to worry about me. I'm just going to live in my little quarter, and I, it's not going to have any effects on anybody else. That, that's a lie. It's a lie. The, the, the fact that, you know, our society a lot of times, I mean, it, this has been the argument in the past, not so much now. Live and let live. Anybody hear that argument? Just let me do my own thing, man, you know? My body, my choice. And I'm, I'm going to pick on that, that very specific thing here in a second here, but it, 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 it has ramifications on society as a whole. Abortion. How many, how many leaders, how many, how many doctors, how many people that could have helped our society have been killed in the womb? you say that doesn't have effect on our society then you, you, you are blind and you don't realize that your choice does have ramifications into all of society and you want to take a pause here though because a lot of times if someone makes that choice they all of a sudden become a poster child or they have to wear a scarlet letter on, on themselves for the rest of eternity, at least in, in, the, in church land. And I, wanna, I just want to say right now, there is absolutely no sin that can't be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. And even though I want to use that, that sin as an example, I don't want to tell you that there's no hope because there is a hope only found in Jesus. Let's take something that is a little less judged at times, and it's gossip. Right? The sin of gossip. Why do you think the Bible talks about gossip? Because it can destroy a, a, a church, it can destroy a family, it can destroy society itself. And how many of us do that? You get that juicy little tidbit that, man, did you hear about that? i got to tell somebody. And it has destructive properties. Gossip will destroy lives. And yet we, we do it without even thinking about it. I could, I could give you so many more list upon list of sins that not just affect my own life, but affect those all around me. And honestly, every sin does affect those around me that love me and care about me. Verse 18. Eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What does this mean? They don't even care about God. 
Maybe they admit there is even a God, right? They don't even care. They have no fear of God. They don't respect God. They just don't give a rip about God. A lot of times we think that, you know, the Bible actually has no respect in society. The Bible does have respect for the most part in society. Not as a, you know, as a weight-bearing, but, but a lot of times you'll hear people talk about the Bible, even, even those that are maybe quote-unquote complete heathens. And so there's something there. But yet, maybe someone recognizes that there is a God, but they just don't care. You know, I've, I've heard people talk about how they don't, they'd, they'd rather party in hell than be with God. They, they don't understand what they're saying. And so the fact that they, they have absolutely no respect or don't care. We come to verse 19 and 20. And here's the sentence that's laid out. Now we know that whenever, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, and by the way, everybody is under the law. We saw Paul spell that out earlier. Um, the Jews had it written down in uh, Romans uh, 2. I have it written down here somewhere. Um, we see... Um, 2.13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey it. Indeed, when the Gentiles, 14, and indeed when the Gentiles who do not have the law, but do by natural things required by the law, they are, they, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. So, so basically our conscience even shows that we are indicted and guilty under the law. goes on says those who are under the law so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God when God judges the world there will not be any excuses it'll be so bad that the the, the guilt and the evidence so severe that there will not be any any kind of rebuttals it'll be so soundingly clear to everyone I, um, I just, I, in, on YouTube, I have uh, my feed, and I, I, I like to watch, uh, there's some of that true crime stuff that comes out, there's true court cases, and it, it was such a bizarre court case. Um, this Florida woman hires a hitman to kill her husband, and the hitman happened to be an undercover cop. Whoops. And the whole, the whole thing is spelled out under surveillance. I mean, there's no doubt in her mind. Anybody who watches that, I mean, the hitman even gives her a chance to get out. He's like, are you sure you want to do? Yes, 110%. I want my husband dead. And yet what happens in the court? She starts crying. She goes, oh, no, that's not who, you know. And, and it, it's so bizarre because the evidence is so soundingly clear, and yet she was still denying it. 
And the weird thing is there was a mistrial out of that. And she went to another trial. And as she was being held, her boyfriend at the time and her had a conversation in jail and she was asking him to break, him out, break her out of jail. Under surveillance again. And she played the whole, I mean, she's in jail now. But the, the, the evidence was so clear and cut. And yet she was still denying it at the end, which was so bizarre. This is not what's going to happen when God finally judges the human race. There is going to be no excuse, and every mouth is going to be silenced. And they know, they're going to know that they've been fairly judged by a fair and just judge. And they are going to know that they deserve every single thing they deserve. It even goes on, it says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Basically, right here, it just says that the law isn't going to save us. The law just reveals how bad we truly are. It's almost like a mirror showing us how bad we are. Um, as most of you guys know, I have a beard. Kind of a Mr. Obvious statement, right? But you know what the one disadvantage of having a beard is? When you're sitting down at a coffee house or a restaurant with somebody and you're eating, especially soup, it's really bad. It seems to catch, catch some things, right? And you guys with the beards, I can see you guys smiling right now because you know the pain. And I'm always paranoid. I'm kind of always wiping my beard after I eat because I'm like, you know, how much junk do I have? Or maybe I'll make excuse. I got to go to the bathroom, and why? So I can go to the bathroom and I can check in the mirror to see how bad my face is. This is what the law does to us people. The law actually reveals how much junk, how bad I am, how messed up I am. Worship team, you can come on up. So this, this was the, the scripture that I, I had to preach on this week. If we stop at verse 20, it's pretty bleak. It's almost depressing, right? Looks like there's absolutely no hope. And... Uh, Matt Miller is going to be preaching next week, and he's going to be uh, going into the scripture. And it's actually going to be the same scripture that I want to, I want to read um, that, that Nate read this morning to show us there's something beyond this bleakness, beyond the, 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 the judgment of, uh, of us, the, the righteous judgment, the, the fair judgment that we deserve. But there's something that we can put our hope in outside of us. I'm going to go ahead and read that now. Verse 21. But now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to us, to, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ 
to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by, the grace, by His grace through the redemption that came from Jesus Christ. That's good news, folks. One other verse that I, I just want to—I have to share because this is such such good news. As you, as we talked about earlier, my own mind is tainted with sin. My own heart is tainted with sin. My own will cannot go for God in its own. But Second Corinthians four six: For God, who said, "Let light shine out of darkness," made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It's good news. The fact is that God reaches out and changes my own heart. He allows me to believe in him. He actually shows me that I need him. In my own sinfulness, I don't even realize I need God. And yet he, he reaches out and grabs onto me. And guys, if, if you have put your trust in Jesus then this should lead us to worship him even more. That he has, just like Lazarus, made us from dead to life. He speaks into our hearts. It's truly amazing. If you haven't, I would, I would just implore on you to put your trust in Jesus. He's the only the only solution to this radically corrupted sin that we deal with on every facet of our life. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you so much that you love us, that you care about us, that you, you make us alive. We, we don't deserve you. We absolutely don't deserve you. And yet you still save us. I, I can't wrap my brain around how much you love us and how much you care about us. Once again, we, you are so good and we are so sinful. And yet you, you give us life. You give us a relationship. You give us you. And we thank you for that. In your name I pray. Amen.